0: Good morning. I'm sorry about the funky lighting here. We're going to just call it the Shekinah glory this morning. Um, So for those of you who have been around the the church for a while, hopefully you chuckle about that. Anyways, we are going to move on to Lectio um, now, and we're going to use Psalm 1. That's the passage. That's the song for today from the lectionary, and um, we're going to read through it three times. I'm going to read it for you, but it'll be on your screen as well, I believe. And I'm just going to give you a focus each time that we read through it. And this is just a way for us to spend a little more time in Scripture. Um, if you're anything like me, having grown up in the church, there's a lot of verses that I have read or passages I have read. Um, over the span of my 50 plus years and um, we can kind of become numb to them or like yeah I know what this says but when you use Lectio you can uh, dig in a little deeper and you're going a little slower and um, it's a really great practice to use uh, if you're having a hard time with scripture so This first time I'm going to read through, Um, we're going to look, or we're going to listen for a word or phrase that is highlighted for you. I'm going to use um, the message version of this passage, which is uh, actually a little dear to me because it is where uh, my name came from, from this uh, particular version, and Uh, it has a very sweet spot for me. So first time through. How well God must like you. You don't walk in the ruts of those blind as bats. You don't stand with the good for nothings. You don't take your seat among the know-it-alls. Instead, you thrill to God's word. You chew on scripture day and night. You're a tree replanted in Eden bearing fresh fruit every month, never dropping a leaf, always in blossom. You're not at all like the wicked, who are mere wind-blown dust, without defense in court, unfit company for innocent people. God charts the road you take. The road they take leads to nowhere. So pick up that word or phrase that was highlighted for you. And as we read the second time, ponder and ask the question, how does this word or phrase connect with me? And where does this come into play in my life? How well God must like you. You don't walk in the ruts of those blind as bats. You don't stand with the good for nothings. You don't take your seat among the know-it-alls. Instead, you thrill to God's word. You chew on scripture day and night. You're You're a tree replanted in Eden, bearing fresh fruit every month. Never dropping a leaf, always in blossom. You're not at all like the wicked, who are mere wind-blown dust, without defense in court, an unfit company for innocent people. God charts the road you take. The road they take leads to nowhere. So as you consider where this comes into play in your life. um, Let's read it one last time and ask Jesus what he's calling from you. What is it that you need to consider or relinquish or take on as a result of what God is saying to you in this word or phrase? How well God must like you. You don't walk in the ruts of those blind as bats. You don't stand with the good-for-nothings. You don't take your seat among the know-it-alls. Instead, you thrill to God's word. You chew on scripture day and night. You're a tree replanted in Eden, bearing fresh fruit every month, never dropping a leaf all in blossom. You're not at all like the wicked, who are mere wind-blown dust, without defense in court, unfit company for innocent people. God charts the road you take. The road they take leads to nowhere. Spirit. Help us to hear your grace and mercy in this passage. We welcome you to plant this word in our hearts that it may bear good fruit in our lives.
1: Amen.
2: Awesome. Awesome.
3: So, it's communion time never know how to transition this communion communion time will work i'm going to read a piece of litur- liturgy um because that's kind of what i connect best with especially with communion i don't know exactly what liturgy like what church created this one it's the one that the church that i go to in new brunswick uses and i know already that it kind of combines a bunch of sources in the first place so if you want it afterwards i can give it to you i just can't cite my sources oh well all right invitation to communion the table of bread and wine is now to be made ready it is the table of company with jesus and all who love him it is the table of sharing with the poor of the world with whom jesus identified himself It is the table of communion with the earth in which Christ became incarnate. So come to this table, you who have much faith, and you who would like to have more, and you who have been here often, and you who have not been here for a long time, and you who have tried to follow Jesus, and you who know what it is like to fail. Come. It is Christ who invites us to meet you, meet him there. To whom shall we go you give us words of eternal life and we have believed and have come to know you holy one of God. Look, the body of Christ is broken for the life of the world here is Christ coming to us in bread and in wine take and eat. So you can take your element of. Cracker and coffee for me bread and wine, whatever's your fancy. May the bread restore your limbs, giving new energy to tired limbs, new thoughts to weary minds. May the wine restore our souls, giving new vision to dry spirits, new warmth to cold hearts. Many grains were gathered to make this bread. Many grapes were mixed to make this wine. So we who are many and come from many places are one in Christ. The peace of Christ be with you. And now we are gonna do the scripture reading and Meryl and Dave are actually gonna be doing that for us.
2: Dear Theophilus, in the first volume of this book, I wrote on everything that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he said goodbye to the apostles, the ones he had chosen through the Holy Spirit and was taken up to heaven. After his death, he presented himself alive to them in many different settings over a period of 40 days. In face-to-face meetings, he talked to them about the things concerning the kingdom of God. As they met and ate meals together, he told them that they were on no account to leave Jerusalem, but must wait for what the Father promised, the promise you heard from me, John baptised in water, you will be baptised in the Holy Spirit, and soon. When they were together for the last time, they asked, Master, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? Is this the time? He told them, you don't get to know the time. Time Timing is the Father's business. What you'll get is the Holy Spirit, and when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will be able to be my witnesses in Jerusalem all over Judea and Samaria, even to the ends of the world. These were his last words. As they watched, he was taken up and disappeared in a cloud. They stood there staring into the empty sky. Suddenly, two men appeared in white robes. They said, you Galileans, why do you just stand here looking up at the empty sky? This very Jesus, who was taken up from among you, to heaven will come as sittingly and mysteriously as he left
3: awesome thank you Merle and I'm just gonna pray uh for Brad now God thank you for this gathering thank you that we are all here um in collaboration with one another and so I just pray that as Brad speaks, that we would all be able to um, (laughs) stop, collaborate, and listen. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Amen. Thank you, Morgan, and uh, thank you, Dave and Meryl. It's so good to see you folks again. I I miss miss our Welsh friends. It's been a long time since I've been there. And uh, thanks for those who've uh, zoomed in from all over the world, especially uh, dear friends outside of the continent. It's great to at least see Peter and Anne-Marie's names there on, on the screen, and so many others of you that we hold dear. Um, today, <clears throat> uh, today we mentioned that this is a bit of a teaser or trailer for a three-part series that we're going to do on reconstruction, but. I'm also aware that not everyone can join us, so I do intend for this to be somewhat standalone. Um, And so uh, we use this word reconstruction. Uh, Some of you have deconstruction fatigue, although Eden and I were chatting this morning, and the truth is that whatever this deconstruction reconstruction thing is, it's often simultaneous. So for example, um, on Good Friday, when things became very dark, and there was even an earthquake. We read that the, te- the temple veil was torn from top to bottom and opened up the Holy of Holies. We also read, whether literally or symbolically at the same time, the wall of separation in the temple was broken and removed. That might have actually happened, you know? Uh, the, there was a wall of separation that kept some people a safe distance from the inner courts. And Paul says that in Christ, that wall has been removed. So is that a deconstruction or a reconstruction? Uh, and the answer is yes. And so um, uh, in this part of, in, in, in the little series I'm going to do, I, I do want to look at how how this uh, th- this move from um, what Rohr really helpfully says calls uh, orientation, disorientation, reorientation, um, really it's rooted right in the gospel, you know? Well, even in, even in the Psalm where it says a tree replanted, that's a kind of reconstruction, a replanting. Or Jesus talks about old wine skin, new wine skin. Or we have, uh, the miracle of water to wine, which is a beautiful metaphor. Unfortunately, we're, we're also experts at turning wine back into water. I know this because I grew up in the Baptist church. So, um, and, then, and then it's more radical than that. This week, I've been, I spent a whole week just doing deep research and, and trying to do nuanced research about the, the greatest reconstructionist, deconstructionist in history, which I, which I thought was Voltaire. In the enlightenment period so there's another metaphor it's it's not just about endarkenment; it's about enlightenment i concluded that he is actually the second greatest deconstructionist of all time and that he comes in a distant second to jesus who goes all in death and resurrection you you don't get more radical than that and um, and then he actually institutes that as as our initiation into the body of Christ through baptism, that it is you are reenacting a death to old the old self, to the demands of the ego, and you are reenacting a resurrection to new life. Or um, another metaphor, born again, born from above, reborn. Um, I, I noticed even... Uh, you know, there's in 12-step recovery, there's actually a seven-step version for Satanists. <laughs> and the seven-step version even talks about their, their, our autonomy is being reborn. It's like, wow, the, uh, the plagiarism never ceases, does it? This is Jesus, you know, uh, talking about rebirth. And then not only do we reenact that in baptism, death and resurrection, the seed being planted, sprouting, bearing fruit... But also for for Paul, it was like, I die daily. Okay, so what's that even mean? So every day there's a a deconstruction, reconstruction that looks like for him, uh, letting go and taking up. And so uh, lest we just be caught in a perpetual whirlpool of deconstruction, we want to talk about, you know, what what are we embracing? Or is it just letting go? Let go and let go and let go. Or, or is there a time for embrace? And so uh, some of you are actually, I, I understand, I've been invited to, to share because some of us are getting itchy to embrace, but we know we can't just go back to how it was. Um, we, we passed to, from death to life, and we don't want to go back to death, but then again, uh, we may have been stuck in a bit of a revolving door. Is there, so for those who who think I want to give the faith a second look. And uh, you know, maybe you're not there right now, but for those who are, um, I'll have a few things to share about that. So first of all, I've called it the faith. That's a a strange phrase. Um, It's good to talk about faith, but what's the faith? Well, uh, that's a reference to the epistle of Jude. And for him, the faith was the gospel. And so what is it to embrace the gospel now that we're kind of exvangelical evangelical in some ways? Uh, what is it to take up the cross once again and say, okay, uh, I, I, can't, I can't live with the old versions of uh, Christian religion, but maybe I can be renewed in my love for the faith, the faith once delivered, is what Jude calls it. What is the faith once delivered? Well, it's the story of Jesus and how that connects with my life. And so um, there's lots of elements to the faith, but I think I want to be really practical, in, especially in terms of where some of us have done some fairly severe letting go. Um, and, and now we're, we're ready to once again reconstruct, first of all, prayer, to reconstruct scripture to reconstruct church faith community and um, in each of so I want to say a little bit about each of those having in mind um, the orientation disorientation reorientation for each one you'll you'll see what I'm doing in a few minutes so first of all reconstructing prayer so so that my orientation to prayer growing up had been first of all talking to God and I did And being taught that when I talk to God, he hears me. Like that mattered a lot to me. And yet, um, uh, that wasn't the whole of it. Later on, I found out that it wasn't a one-way conversation. And I I wrote a book called Can You Hear Me? Tuning into the God Who Speaks. Because we came to believe and experience a God who responds to our prayers. And it was more than just like, I'm going to... um, send him an email and then just sort of watch my life to see if he got the email and did something with it it became much more conversational than that and and in fact it became at times so beautiful that it was even verifiable i could not have made this up i heard something when i asked him and when i heard it I know it wasn't me. I prayed for years and years and years about that. I, want, I just want to hear God at some point in a way that I know I could not have ever made up. And we began to see that more and more and in very explicit ways. So I, I, I really developed a practice of not only talking prayer, but listening prayer. And then, and then also seeing prayer. So in my heart, seeing the one I'm talking to seeing the face of Christ, seeing the love in his eyes, hearing the love in his voice, but but also then seeing really specific results to some of the prayers we were praying. And so um, I I read in Francis McNutt, he, he wrote a book, this, this Catholic priest, he just said, look at, you may not have the faith to heal, but at least have the love to pray. So I just began thinking, you know what? Um, if I pray for anything that moves, maybe just like statistically speaking, we'll start to see, to see with our eyes, the things we're praying for. And you know what? We did. And so we, I, I wish I'd see more miracles, but I saw some, and some of the ones that we saw were healing miracles verified by medical doctors and ophthalmologists and spinal surgeons and um uh you know cancer surgeons and and, and and i'm like why it was way easier when i didn't think he ever did that when then when he did it just like a little bit and, and it drove me crazy and and that began a little bit of disillusionment then too so first of all i have that orientation but i became disoriented as I realized how manipulative my prayers were and how I was always telling God what to do. And when he didn't obey me that I was disillusioned and angry at him. And so, so it became very frustrating for me and some of my friends would say, look at it. it, It's so frustrating for you because you're, you know, you have all these expectations and you need to let them go. And I found it, Okay, I found it very comforting to let go of those expectations and just practice a kind of contemplative prayer uh, where I expect nothing. The problem with that for me is that it looks nothing like what Jesus talks about. And I'm kind of a Jesus guy still. And for him, faith is not just praying with no expectation. So how do you have expectancy without expectations? And how do you, very disillusioning until we, you know, through a series of tragedies, I had to just completely fast from praying. And, and very slowly reintroduce the, the um, Lord have mercy. And Try to reestablish a living connection. I didn't, you know what? I didn't need big dramatic answers to prayer anymore. If I could just get back to living connection. And I'm like, actually, that's the whole thing. (laughs) Um, So my reconstruction around prayer has to do with reestablishing prayer. um, Not by some percentage of answers I get or some way of psyching myself up for further disappointments. But that if I could reconstruct the, uh, and, uh, and reorient myself to, towards God in prayer as living connection, that would really, really help me. And I feel like that even happened in my angry prayers. And I, I discovered that um, uh, my angry prayers oriented towards God were much better than my polite prayers of propriety oriented away from God. I'm just going to have to turn away from him and and say nice things. Or maybe I should get in his face and just tell him how I really feel. And I found out when you do that, your intimacy with God goes way deeper. No one was as intimate with God as David. He prayed stuff I wouldn't dare pray. Um, Well, I've tried to, and I found out. There was no lightning bolt that came with it. So that was good. And, uh, and uh, Simone Weil really helped me. She, she talks about waiting for God. And she says, look at you, you can, you can climb a ladder, but it doesn't matter how tall your ladder is. <laughs> you, you can't climb to the sun on your ladder. You can sit at the top of the ladder and you're just going to have to wait. And, and oddly, I found that very comforting. It's like, you know what? I'm Here I am, God. What do you want me to do? Fly? I can't fly, okay? So I'm just going to wait and I'm going to watch. And I'm going to wait for God to come down. And you know what? Maybe it won't be today. And maybe I don't get to snap my fingers. And maybe 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 um maybe waiting is all that God's asking for there. But when I when I wait for God, I'm also I'm also watching for mercy. What are the signs of mercy that I see? What are the little signs that i that i could just stop i, I could i used to just negate them all the time because it wasn't dramatic it's like what if he never does anything he or she i part pardon me for the sexist pronouns when i'm talking about god i just really believe god transcends that um but because i i relate so much to jesus christ in prayer I, uh, I'll, I'll sometimes use that language and this idea of Lord, have mercy, and then watch for it. And without ever having to do another so called miracle again, could in my living connection, can I see the little mercies that are embodied in my brothers and sisters? And, and the call for me to trust that God's going to take care of things because I'm a worry you know? So I'm, I'm reconstructing prayer. That's, that's in process. Um, and I just feel like, uh, one thing Eden and I have in common, we, our prayer lives are very, very different, but, and, and we'll talk about that in the series, but I, I just, I just know, um, I didn't have to lose prayer. I just had to lose an old wineskin for prayer. That was very limiting on God. Second, um, I think about scripture. So again, my orientation to scripture began as a young child. I fell in love with the scriptures. I highlighted everything in my Bible that my dad had highlighted in his Bible, and then I read it. And then I I set I set a goal to memorize 30 scriptures when I was seven years old. And, and I did it. And I, I loved those scriptures. The first one I memorized was seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. I've never lost that. I love I love that. Um so in my in that orientation to scripture. I, th- I thought it was God's word. I thought I was reading God's love letter to me. I was, thought I was reading God's manual for life. Well, kind of, kind of. But that came with a deconstruction too and a, a disorientation because I actually read the thing. And we have romantic ideas of the Bible, both positive and negative, as if it's all good or all bad but it's like way messier than that. And so I began in, in reading scripture again and again, I began to see the contradictions and I was told there's no contradictions. It's like, good Lord, (laughs) Google it 500 contradictions in the Bible. You'll, you'll find lists like that all over. And it's real. And, And you can't spin them Well, you can spin some of them, but eventually you're going like, this is just, I'm being dishonest here. Um, and so those contradictions began to bug me, and, but more than that, the ugliness, not only of what God's people were doing in scripture, but also what they claimed that God was telling them to do or doing himself and, or herself. And, and that felt really horrible. Some of the things that were appeared to be commands from God that were absolutely immoral by any, any standard and uh, even barbaric. And then you know the joy of seeing that Christ comes along and he he has a better word than that, but then you still have to deal with, well, wait a minute, then what do I do with the thing he's just contradicted himself and corrected? So, so that sent me into quite a, a disorientation and and even having to really take seriously what do I do with the immoral parts of the Bible? You know? And and um I'm not one to run away from that. I invested heavily in these scriptures and, and uh, it felt too easy to set them aside. And so that didn't, that didn't feel honest to me either. So I couldn't, I couldn't shine them up, but I also couldn't just set them aside and then say, well, you know, the faith matters to me. So what do you do? And again, some of you know this, there's a time for, uh, there's a time for, Prayer detox, and there's a time for biblical detox to let go of the old wineskin, the old way, the, and to, to reconstruct it somehow. And part of my reconstruction that I just feel more fascinated by the Bible than I ever have, because one of the things is I discovered that uh, Jews have no problem having arguments, not only with each other about the scripture, but within the scriptures, This is a conversation, or as um, one author called it, a text in travail. Do you know what travail is? Um, Jess knows what travail is. Um, She was a a doula. Travail is pain in childbirth. Jeff, Jeff Cornelson, you've probably seen some travail in your time. The Bible is a text in travail. It's struggling to give birth to a new way of seeing and being in this world called the kingdom of God, and you don't get there without a messy story full of tragedies and so on. And then, so I started thinking, this is beautiful that that they're not at all alarmed to have prophets who are pro temple and anti temple in the same book. <laughs> it's like what? It's like. It, it, this is how jews work i wish i could do a really good new york here, jewish right accent yeah
3: come here
1: oh that was that was it's was like that <laughs> and so um um but also that it's this incredible drama of redemption and i just started thinking about you know when i watch when i read lord of the rings or when i watch it on 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 movie or when i read harry potter or watch those movies it's like this is a drama going somewhere that has a point and a punchline that's incredible. And so it is with scripture. Why Why would I think that the Lord of the Rings would be a better book if we took, um, you know, Soren out of it and all the parts of the book where something bad happens? Oh, I know. Hey, let's take Gollum out of it, too, because he's ugly. Oh, and, and also like Voldemort. The Harry Potter books would be way better without Voldemort or Snape, wouldn't they? No, <laughs> it's, it's part of a, the realism of, uh, of how life unfolds in these dramas that includes villains and includes heroes. And, and, and this is what we see in scripture, but it's also going somewhere. So, so to go, for me to go to Deuteronomy and read one chapter in Deuteronomy and go, oh, you know, this can't be God's word. It's like, well, not in that sense. But to say, is this part of the epic narrative that culminates in God needing to come in the person to set things right? Oh my goodness, it's essential to it. And it's beautiful and it's horrible. And it's so that's that's some of my reconstruction in the scripture reading then allows for the, the immoral parts to be chapters and episodes in a in in this dramatic narrative comes to a head in the person of christ and was pointing to him all along and it's sort of like you read the final the final chapters of of lord of the rings harry potter or the new testament you're like oh my goodness there was so much foreshadowing and not only that now i have the scriptures not not only as like this painting i'm supposed to just accept it's a palette from which i paint uh I think probably Kenneth Tanner taught me that this week or some other, I didn't come up with that. And I just, this idea of, no, it's Richard Murray. You can follow him on social media. He's a lawyer and yet he's an artist because he's seen how the scriptures can, can become a palette um, and, and that, that we become, our lives become part of what it paints. And then finally, um, I want to just talk briefly about reconstructing church um you know it would it's kind of interesting that so many people who who know deconstruction deeply as you do are nevertheless gathered here but you know like so many aren't right so many have have had it and um though my initial orientation was that this was my family you know I grew up I I, we would use this expression I grew up in a church what does that mean well for me it meant I had a family. I I had my immediate family, but then um, my immediate family would invite other families over who I had seen on Sunday. And these families were called like Uncle Hank and Auntie Chris and Auntie Aunt. What, What is this aunt and uncle thing? And it was a recognition of authentic family connection. And so that was good. Um, but then something something happens doesn't it things stuff stuff goes down Um, some of the stuff that really goes down (laughs) Um, one is our tribalism um, which I'm I'm very hesitant to use that word because tribe is an important word for first nations people but when we speak of tribalism or factionalism we know what we mean in the sense of us them with other tribes and this is what drove drove Kind of drives me a little bit nuts. It's, I hear a lot of people, I finally found my tribe. It's like, well, what does that mean? What does that mean with respect to others? Um, is that just a, a way of saying, well, I found people who agree with me? <laughs> um, probably family was a, better, was a better metaphor because with a family, you have, you're stuck with people that you see very differently than. Whereas this homogeneous unit thing? I was taught in church planting class. I planted a church once. We were taught to find a homogeneous unit. What's that mean? Segregation. Well, your church will go faster that way. I'm sure it will. Man, there's so many things wrong with that. Um, But one of those things is, is kind of tribalism, where it's not only I'm identifying my particular brand, but also excluding those who aren't in my brand or treating them perpetually as other. Well, and then even within the tribe, how about dissension? You know, like, I don't know if I shared this with you before I have deja vu. So, um, I remember my very first church meeting, like I mean a business meeting. And I remember the pastor was at the front and he was also the chairman, which was problematic and he's yelling. And I remember someone beside, behind me saying, we should have brought baseball bats. <laughs> and I'm like, this is, holy smokes, what's, what's going on here? And so, so tribalism, dissension, and then exclusivism, you know, like who's welcome and who's, who's really welcome? And who am I to assume that I'm the one welcoming? At least today I get to be, a, I'm a guest, right? But um, so so that kind of exclusivity—it it, was—it's all very disillusioning. And now, just when you bake it into like politicism and um, uh, you know national, this is a—it's a harder thing for my American friends, where it just just the, almost impossible to delaminate faith from nationalism uh it's it's and in fact i i just saw there's a new it's called the ultimate american bible and now it includes both the scriptures and the bill of rights and the declaration of independence and the, and it's all of this is now in the same book and you're like, like oh you guys so people just are disillusioned by that could you blame them then for leaving and it, it can even be just my own hurts um I hear a lot of people tell me about how hurt they were by their church. And I ask on the, I always ask their story. Sometimes it's pastors who are really hurt by their church. And sometimes it was lay people. And sometimes, sometimes it's just like hurt meant I didn't get my way. <laughs> I get a lot of those. And um, sometimes it's like the, the church was so much more conservative, but then I've met just as many people who left because the church was too liberal. They had kind of a fundamentalism, A standard that that their pastor failed to live up to, so they left, and now they just sort of watch TV preachers. I'm like, oh, that talk about deconstruction. But here, you know, we've got we've got like 65 screens on, right? So something you found something here that feels like reconstructing a faith family. I want to say maybe. One thing I observed, and it's why Eden came to the bridge, was that caring people, caring people. When she was going through her big bout with cancer, um, before she came to the bridge, you know, the Mitchensons and Sarah and others just started really caring for her. I'm like, you know, well, the moment you do that, you know you're going <laughs> to people get missed in the cracks and there's cause for more offense and all of that. But at least Eden's experience of it was real, the church as a hospital and, and moving then some, some of us where it's like had to leave churches cause it was so toxic, but it's like, wow moving into alienation didn't work very well either did it and so we're like could we give the church a second look if it's about moving from alienation back into communion i talked to my godfather about this week cuz it's probably my theology of church has been my weakest point and so i'm really working with him on it and one of the things he said you know the problem was we went from the church at, we 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 talk about the church, but usually when we do, it's like it. Eden's cringing because we hear a lawnmower. That's all right. So the church becomes an it. In other words, it as an institution. And this it, I don't know what... It it, it does feel like a bad thing somehow. And he said, what if, what if we remembered the church as she? And... And I'm like, what is the church as she? And he said, the church as she is, is a reorientation of the people of God to their vocation. I'm like, well, what's their vocation? He said, well, that's hard because uh, we forget. What are we supposed to be together anyway? Are we, are we liturgists? Are we activists? Are we... Are, um, are we a hospital are we a you know and there's a lot of metaphors we can use for church but but one of the things he he wanted to remind me of it and and it actually came up twice today and you may not have noticed that we do this it's for the life of the world so what does it mean for us to be a she whose vocation is for the life of the world so we 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 don't gather to create an it that we serve. We gather to stir up our gifts to go um, to, to give ourselves for the life of the world. Even communion is for the life of the world. Baptism is not to figure out who's on the in group. Baptism is your ordination as a royal priesthood for the life of the world. And so I think we need to, we, we can think about a reorientation for, for, to that vocation. Well, I'm just going to wind down now and say um, one of the interesting things that is that today is Ascension Sunday. And so what does this mean that it's it's Ascension Sunday? Um, so Christ died, Christ rose, Christ ascended. What if what if Ascension became one of our metaphors for reorientation? What? Um, If I died with Christ and I rise with Christ, what is it to ascend with Christ? And and I suspect that that does connect to vocation. So Christ ascends to the heavens to sit at the right hand of the Father to reign in this world through love. And what if we ascend to our vocation? To live in this world as mediators of love. I, I wonder what that means, not only as church, but as individuals. And so, you know. Um, <laughs> that I, I, I was thinking even about when um, Harry Potter again, that's that's one of. That's one of the spells it's to do with ascend, ascend. And then, you know, who knows, the wizard's probably floating something in the air. But what if Jesus has has ascended, and he says to you today, ascend. You've let go of so much. Now, now can you ascend to what your your vocation and your truest self? Well, some of us, we're going to need more process, but I can hear that as an invitation today. To get up take up your mat and walk to rise up not just resurrect but actually living the resurrection and ascended life of of those who um who remember there's a point and so um i want to i'm just going to do a closing prayer and then i'll i'll hand it back for the conversation part of the service Um, father in heaven we thank you for every part of the journey sort of we do thank you that even even for the places we came from that our first story was not all just toxins that you you gave us good gifts as children wherever and whatever that was i pray that my friends here could remember and redeem some of the the good things of their orientation, especially initially to you. Um, We thank you too, even for the disorientation. As uncomfortable as that's been, as painful and even traumatic at times, we we are glad that you freed us from some of those attachments and that you've pried our... (laughs) whiten knuckles off of the stuff we clung to and 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 you've you've taught us the value and freedom of letting go and that you've even consumed some of our old chains in the meantime and uh now today i also thank you that there is reorientation that there is reconstruction that there is ascension and i i ask that you'd um you'd, you'd so get us in touch with the vocation of our truest self that, um, that, that we could experience the joy of that a little bit. And that, that you direct our eyes to the, the places where that is really true for us. Pray these things in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.